welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. What is strewing and how can it help a PDA child or teen? So this is a question that I've seen on in my comments on Instagram and on Facebook. So I thought I would take some time today to give you guys a definition, give you guys examples, and we can actually categorize the different types of strewing so that it's easier to use in your home with your PDA child or teen and to experiment to see if it helps with avoidance and engagement. So before I define strewing, I'm going to start with a story to illustrate how I learned about how this could be such an impact impactful tool in your home. Okay, so when my son Cooper was younger, I was very, very intent on him learning to read. And I was also very intent on him eating (laughs) healthy foods. Okay, so these were two of my big things as a mother when I first became a mother. So when I used to still live in the Washington DC area, and my son was, you know, two, three, four years old, I was really focused on baby led weaning, all organic stuff, reading, all the things. I'm sure many of you can identify with that. So let's start with reading. As I was trying to get him to read, the more I tried to read to him, the more he would do what I now understand as equalizing or controlling behavior in order to get back to a sense of control. But what that looked like was I would be reading a book and to him and he would say, no, stop. And he would want to change the words or the story. So we, I ended up intuitively in this space where every night we had this very unique routine where it had to be a certain number of books and a certain number of songs and a certain number of roughhousing iterations. But he would make me change the words and the storyline to silly things like poop and fart and all the things because otherwise he would not read the book with me, right? And this was long before I knew anything about neurodiversity, sensory processing disorder. I had never heard of PDA, etc. And then as he started to get a little bit older and my second son, William, was born and things started to move towards nervous system burnout, it was a more explicit rejection of reading. So talking about books, letting me read to him at all, you know, different games with letters, I got all the Montessori stuff. I, you know, allowed him to experiment with like video games that would help him learn to read, but he would just entirely reject this. So he was just completely rejecting anything that had to do with reading. At the same time, his eating was getting more and more controlled more and more refusal, more and more avoidance, right? And so what did we do? We went into feeding therapy and read the parenting books about all the different types of, you know, playful exposure and like different color dynamics. And we actually did what's called SOS feeding, which is a 32-step process to expose the child to new foods. And they they like get exposed to them just by being in the same room as them first. And then they move all the way up to like licking and spitting, smelling, all the way up to like 
putting it in their mouth, okay? But the more that we did this, the more he would reject food or in feeding therapy, he would add a food, which we thought was like a bridge to his sensory experience, but then he'd drop another, which was the controlling behavior to get back to a place of him feeling nervous system safety, okay? So at the time, the root cause of resistance that I was assuming was going on for both of these things was incorrect, right? So I thought he doesn't like reading. He's not interested in reading. Perhaps it's part of his temperament. Perhaps he has a learning disability. Perhaps he's dyslexic. So I was also noticing that when he would write, he would write everything backwards or start the sentence backwards. Okay. And then for the eating, I would assume the root cause was sensory based, which did interact with his nervous system activation from PDA, but was not the primary root cause. This is how I learned about strewing, which we're going to get to accidentally because I started to notice things. So let's take reading. I'll give you an anecdote. One time, now we were in Michigan, we were homeschooling and I was cleaning up all these beads we were using to make art projects. And I had started to learn about PDA and I was not trying to make him read. We had stopped reading at night because he would physically fight me on it and he was in burnout and I wouldn't even talk about it. But I remember picking up these beads and I was looking at them just to myself because they had letters on them of the alphabet. And he came over and he's like, what are those letters, mama? And then he started asking me like, what sound does it make? And can we put them together? And like, he was leading this actual like engagement in literacy. And I was just stunned. Like, oh, maybe he does have an interest in reading. Maybe he is interested in learning, which is the assumption, a different assumption than I had after all the rejection, right? So why did he all of a sudden show an interest in reading when (laughs) my assumption was he was either dyslexic, no interest in reading, or just didn't have a temperament or aptitude for it? It was because it was strewed. Okay, what does that mean? I was playing with something, a visual cue and a sensory cue. I'm just engaging with the beads. And he had the autonomy and the perceived equality to come over and look at it and engage with it or not. Okay, so that's what a strewed offering is. And we're going to go more into the definition. But this was one of my like first aha moments. And I was like, oh, and it makes sense with the root cause of PDA avoidance, which is a perception of either someone's above them in authority, power or stature, or they perceive that they don't have autonomy around something. So what was happening with reading up until this point? I put so much pressure, so much expectations, he didn't have choice, and I was the one deciding, right? But when I was just doing something, engaging with beads with letters on them, his brain perceived safety because there was no neuroception around, mom really wants me to engage with these beads and learn how to read, or mom is making me read, okay? Flash forward to now, my son is an avid reader. It still blows my mind because when he was in public school, he qualified for special education. He was not learning to read. We had to pull him from public school. And still to this day, I do not read to him. I do not ask him about reading. And I only engage with it when he comes up to me and he's like, mama, look at how many pages I've read. But I will say, and this hopefully for some of you out there gives you some hope, I was convinced and and radically accepted, like my son might not learn to read. 
at a certain point, okay? So that's the first example of like accidental strewing that made me start thinking about things differently through my observation of my son. The second is with eating. Okay, so I had dropped the demands on eating. We were no longer making him sit at the table. We were delivering food. We were not putting pressure on eating because that's his stickiest basic need and the thing that is most challenging for him. But then I would be eating something like sushi and he'd come over and like take the chopsticks and start poking it, right? Which like on the 32 steps of engaging with a food is actually fairly high up because he was getting like sensory and tactile interaction and smell with the sushi. And I was just like, what's happening? And then I would get barbecue takeout here in town and he'd like take a fry and dip it in the barbecue sauce. And I was like, what is happening? Right? So this was not the root cause of sense. It was the perception that, oh, mom has no expectation or desire for me to eat this food. In fact, she kind of doesn't want me poking her sushi with her chopsticks. And so there's a sense of felt safety and the ability to engage because this was just an accidental strew of food because the energy around it was truly not one of, I want to make my son eat sushi or barbecue. It was just like I was doing my own thing. Okay, so this is what strewing is. And I'm going to define it for you. Well, first, why don't I tell you like historically where it is and how I like term was coined. And then I'll say how it's adapted to PDA. The first time I heard of and read about strewing as a technique, it was in the homeschooling milieu, the blogosphere of homeschooling. And the term was coined by a woman named Sandra Dunn. And I don't know her I don't know much about her, but what I do know is that she has this definition where it's like leaving things out that a child can engage with or not when they want. So like in homeschooling, instead of having like, now we're going to do science, now we're going to do writing, having like a schedule and getting out the materials in an order, the strewing technique in homeschooling was like, Maybe you have a table of science materials. Maybe there's another area where there's art projects. And then there's maybe like a sensory table and the child or teen can gravitate towards what their interests are in the order that they want. Okay, so for PDA, we have to take it a step further and remove, remove the expectation that they engage with it at all. So the way that I think about it is a sensory-based cue in the environment that we can offer to the child without the expectation that they engage with it or not. So there's really autonomy, true autonomy, energetic autonomy, and a perception of equality so that it's not like, I put these out, now you have to engage with it, okay? So strewing is one of 12 accommodations that I teach in depth in the Paradigm Shift program. So if you are interested in practicing these skills in real life settings with me and a community of like-minded parents for three months, that is what we will be doing in the paradigm shift, among many other things. Okay, so let's talk about strewing in categories of how we can use it as parents, because I find it helpful to break things into categories for memory. So again, strewing is a sensory-based offering that we can use in the environment to cue our children or teens for engagement, for learning, for connection without the expectation that they engage, okay? So there's three types I like to think about. One is 
a visual strew, which is how it's traditionally used, which is what I described earlier for homeschooling of like, I'm going to leave out these tables of, you know, art supplies. But what with a PDA child or teen, it has to be like truly just an offering that it's okay if they don't engage. So for example, you may have noticed if you're in therapy with your PDA child or teen, or if you have gone to someone else's home or a store and they've seen something that they've like really wanted to engage with and perhaps it's a toy, it's a puzzle, it's an art project, maybe it's even a food. Like this happened with us at OT recently where my son was really interested in this carnation powder which had all these vitamins and minerals, especially calcium because he doesn't get any calcium and he doesn't really take vitamins. So he's like so into it. And, and this can happen with a toy too. And then what do we do as parents? We're like, yes, they're finally engaging with something. They want to play independently with something or they want to eat something. So we buy it or we stock up on it. And then we're like, look, I got you this type of chips that you loved or look like that board game that you loved over at your cousin's house. Like I got it for us and we can play. And then they're like, no interest reject it entirely. And they're like, I don't want to do that. Right. And you're like, what? And it doesn't make sense. However, through the PDA lens, it completely makes sense because even if they really liked it and want to engage with it, when we have an expectation around it and even the slightest bit of pressure of like, I'm above you. I bought this. Now it's time to engage with it. There's the perception through the survival brain which remember is subconscious, where they perceive threat of like a loss of autonomy or equality, which activates the nervous system, fight, flight, freeze. And then we see the avoidance, right? The root causes nervous system activation, but we see the rejection or avoidance. So how can we accommodate this in a simple way. Strewing is a great technique where maybe you were at the cousin's house and you saw that they really loved engaging in, you know, the game Sorry. And so, and it's around Christmas time, so you're thinking about like purchasing them something. Maybe you, instead of giving it as a Christmas gift, which puts pressure on the engagement, maybe you purchase it and just leave it out right? Or just put it on the shelf and just wait until they engage with it or not or notice it, right? So there's just no pressure of like, we need to engage with this now, or I saw that you like this, so let's play it together, right? So that's a visual strew. The casually leaving out of things that you they can engage with or not on their own timeline. It's imbued with autonomy. It's imbued with a sense of equality. And we as parents just have to work on our patience <laughs> for when and how the engagement happens. Sometimes you can do this more deliberately. Like, you know, sometimes when my kids are on the screen for a really long time, I start to take out things to like bake, right? And sometimes they gravitate towards like, oh, mommy's doing something, so I'm gonna do it with her. And sometimes they don't, and that's okay. Okay, so that's a visual strew. Another strew type of strew is an auditory strew, which in the Paradigm Shift program, I teach the nuance of how to combine this with other accommodations and to use it to start to develop healthy self-concept. We build on all these skills to do really transformative shifts with our children, but it's hard for me to explain in one live, <laughs> which is why I have a program that we practice this together. 
but an auditory strew. Let me give you an example. I like to think of this as like a verbal trial air balloon or a little like verbal litmus test in the air just to like collect data of like, is this of interest or is it not of interest? So you might find your child all weekend being like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. But every time you suggest something like, oh, let's go to the park, let's go bowling. Why don't we go to a store? Why don't we call a friend? They're like, no, 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 right? That's because as challenging as this is to wrap your mind around as a parent, when you suggest something, there is the perception that you're above them or and or the loss of autonomy and choice, even by imposing like these are the choices, right? Again, this is about neuroception. This is about the nervous system. This is not something your child is consciously doing to be manipulative or annoying, even though it can feel that way. So when we ask direct questions like, what do you want to do this weekend or make suggestions, we're closing the number of categories, which can be perceived as a loss of autonomy. So one of the things I do to preempt this in my own home and one of the things we practice in the Paradigm Shift program is an auditory strew. So like on the weekend, instead of asking my child what he wants to do, I might just start looking up things on the computer and I might be like, oh, it looks like the wellness center actually has a kid swim this Sunday. And it's like, a little trial air balloon, auditory trial air balloon. Sometimes my son doesn't hear it. Sometimes he does. Or I might do an auditory strew with my husband where we're talking and I'm not like hushing my voice so he can hear, my son can hear what we're talking about and engage or not. Okay, so that's an auditory strew. And what this is doing is this is allowing your child to stay in the thinking brain so they can actually respond with their preferences right? Because you may have noticed like my son is an automatic no for everything, right? Even when I use a lot of these accommodations. But the point is that like by using the accommodations, I bring down his nervous system activation. So he's spending more time in that frontal lobe where he can actually think. So he might say no, no, no. And I'm just like, okay, like, and I'm truly fine with it. And then as soon as he gets back into the thinking brain, he's like, okay, yes, right? And drop a heart if you've noticed that with your child. When they perceive felt safety and they're in the frontal lobe, they can actually think. Okay, the final strew that we can use as a shorthand for remembering is called what I call <laughs> the you strew. So I think this is the most powerful strew because it combines the sensory cue of like something in their environment they can engage with or not with a safe nervous system, which is yours. So this just means that instead of like leaving things out for them to engage with, which is more traditional strewing from homeschooling, it's actually that you start doing something as a you strew that they can engage with or not. And I have found even when I'm not intentionally doing this, it's like whenever I'm doing something, like for example, you know, I the other day I was making this tea that I like to make with lemons, honey, and ginger. And like it's heated and it really warms my soul but like as soon as I'm cutting the lemons my son comes over and is like let's make lemonade you know and then I have to like divert and get like you know a whole setup for him parallel to me but I always like bring the sacred pause and patience to it because I'm like he's engaging he's learning how to cut the lemon like this is like such a co-regulation activity it just means like I have to slow down and recognize that opportunity for engagement 
But let me give you an example from working with a client when this was such a powerful accommodation because um, it really did shift things, but it took consistency and in, in mindfulness, okay? So I was working with a family who had two PDA tweens. One was externalized, one was internalized, and both needed to be home from school for a period of time in order to get out of burnout. So the mom's mother has had moved from out of town in order to support her daughter because she couldn't do all of it by herself. So she moved close by and they had the externalized PDA or who is largely doing his unschooling thing in the home. And then the internalized PDA or would go over to his grandmother's house, but without the expectation that he was going to engage in learning, right? Because they were trying to get him out of burnout. And the premise was like, he can bring over his iPad, he can watch the iPad. And what grandma and mom and I worked on was, okay, every day, we're just gonna, what your role is, is first, don't take it personally that he's not engaging with you. Second, reduce expectations and demands around whether or not he engages. So we're totally radically accepting that he might not and we're letting go. But grandma is going to set up some sort of activity nearby that she's engaging in, right? So she is going to be baking cookies or she's going to be doing a Sudoku or she's going to be doing a puzzle and the child on the iPad can engage or not, right? So what happens? The first two or three weeks, the kid has no interest in coming over to see what grandma's doing. And she's consistent. We're working through it. And she's committed to the letting go of a non-attachment of whether or not the child comes over. This is the ultimate use through of like grandma is a sensory based cue of something else going on that the child can engage with or not. And her nervous system is there too, right? So eventually, to everyone's surprise except mine, because <laughs> I've been through this, I've worked with hundreds of families, I know that this works. Eventually, he started getting off the screen and showing interest in engaging with what she was doing. Remember, like the key refinement of this type of accommodation is that we don't do the accommodations in order to get a response in the moment. We do the accommodations as a way of accommodating the nervous system so that consistently we're creating a new neural pathway back to the frontal lobe and reducing demands and expectations so that their nervous system can experience felt safety. And that is what over time leads to trust, connection, and engagement. So that is my teaching session for you guys on what strewing is because I know there's a lot of new community members here and I know that you guys have been asking about this because I've been seeing it in my DMs and comments. All right, everybody. Bye. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.